Rick did a great job uh, introducing the book of Peter, uh, the book of First Peter to us and talking about many of the things that were true of Peter. Um, I think every time we roll into a new book and it's my first time teaching it, it becomes my new favorite book, right? Because I, I dig in deeper than I've ever dug in before. And I would encourage you, whether you've got to be up here through the Gospels and everything it says about Peter, and, uh, and, and then read through First Peter again. And we have this life on display from the Gospels, and then we have teaching years and years later from Peter. And then we'll pray, and then we'll dig, uh, we'll dig a little deeper in here. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us as Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which, ang things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, grace that is to be brought to you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your servant Peter whose life you put on display for us to see the ups and downs of the Christian life and who expresses great things of you that you turned over to him in spite of his fail, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to hear. We pray that you will help us to continue to give to you the things that would cloud our minds right now the things that would stop us from hearing what you have for us, the things that would keep us from going further in you, 
We give those things to you again now, God. If we've taken them back up, we give them to you again to care for, to take care of for us. Father, I pray that you will make me a workman approved who correctly handles your word of truth. And I thank you, God, that you are willing to be heard by us. All glory and honor and praise to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We know a tremendous amount uh, about Peter through the Gospels and the early chapters of the book of Acts. We don't know so much what happens to Peter after that. We don't know what, his, uh, what goes on in those intervening years. Assuming 1 Peter is written in 64 AD, we're here, we're 31 years after, the writing of this book is 31 years after Jesus is crucified. That's a long period of time, and we have a, a little bit of knowledge of what goes on in his life. There's not a lot concerning Peter in the biblical record after Acts chapter 10, when God sends him to Cornelius' house. He has a vision to go to Cornelius' house, and he goes there, and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. The Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God, and that was amazing to them. They weren't looking for it. They weren't expecting it. And God had something amazing for them, even though they had all the information from the Old Testament about how that would happen, until God does it, sometimes we miss it. Until God does it, sometimes we miss it. Dig in and see what he is going to do. Dig into the scriptures and say, oh, this is going to come too. This is another thing that God has said he's going to do. May not happen in my lifetime. May not happen tomorrow, but God is going to do it. And hearing his message, reading his message over and over does what? Where does faith come from? Hearing the word, reading the word. Our faith is increased. Our faith grows. We know from Paul's letter to the Galatians that Paul spent 15 days with Peter when he came to Jerusalem the first time. When Paul came back to Jerusalem, after his conversion for the first time, about three years after that, he says, I spent 15 days with Peter. A couple of weeks he spent with Peter. I wonder what that was like. I wonder what those conversations were like. Peter sharing the things that he had seen from Jesus, the things that Jesus had said right in front of him, the things that Jesus had said to him. And Paul saying, yeah, it was like a great light in front of me. And Peter saying, I saw that light on top of the mount. And Elijah and Moses were there. And Paul's like, oh, I only got Jesus. You got Elijah and Moses too? Holy cow. I was talking about uh, light a few weeks ago, right? It's, it says when, when Jesus was transfigured, his clothes glowed. Light that God was bringing that he brought to Paul, that he brought to Peter. What were those conversations like in those 15 days? Paul would return to Jerusalem 14 years later for the council at Jerusalem, which we read about in Acts 15. And that's the last record we have of Peter in the book of Acts. We go on, and, and we're following Paul's missionary journeys after that. But that he comes back there, and we know that Peter's there because he gets up and speaks. We know that he and Paul were together in Syrian Antioch, and this is where Paul rebuked him from withdrawing from eating with the Gentiles, but we can't say definitively when that was. We know that Barnabas was there also, but was I don't know for sure. 
The Jerusalem Council was in AD 50 or so, and there are a bunch of blank years between Caesarea when he goes there and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles and the council, and then after the council certainly, which happened those 14 years later. We can imagine, we can assume that he went to Corinth, right, because there are people there, there's a whole group of people there saying, I follow Peter. So we could assume that. I suppose he could have, that they could have heard him in Jerusalem and then went to Corinth and joined the church there because we see other people moving amongst the church in, uh, in the book of Acts. And in the, we know that Priscilla and Aquila were in Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome at least, if not other places. We know that Phoebe was in Sencria, the eastern port of Corinth, and in Rome. Apollos was in Alexandria, Ephesus, and Corinth. And we know that Peter and the other apostles and Jesus' brothers, we know this from uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he says, they took along with them believing wives when they traveled. So we know he traveled. We don't know exactly where he went, but we know that he traveled, and the others did as well. They didn't just stay in Jerusalem and teach from there. Even James, because he talks about the brother of the um, the brothers of Jesus brought their wives. James went to these different places. We can have this picture that James just stayed in Jerusalem, but apparently he traveled and went to these other places. So though we don't have a bunch of named cities for Peter's travels, as we do for Paul, we have him writing to believers in areas which, are, which outside of Asia and Galatia, we have no record of Paul traveling to. So I got a map today. Oh, look at that. Perfect timing. There's a good kid working back there on the, uh, in the sound booth. So all these lines show where Paul went. Peter writes his letter to the pilgrims of the Dispersia in Pontus. There's Bithynia and Pontus up there in purple. Galatia, big green province. These are the provinces of Rome at the time. Cappadocia. Asia and Bithynia is together with Pontus. So you can see Paul's journeys took him really to the inter- interior of Turkey, of Asia Minor. Peter's writing his letter to a landmass that is just as big as all the landmass that Paul covered. So did Peter go to those places? I would assume that he does because he's writing to those believers there. Even though we don't have a record of his travels to there, He's writing to this group of people, this vast area. So it seems part of the time Peter, uh, part of the time of Peter was spent in journeys to those areas. We understand from uh, the other thing I want to show you. Uh, so those um, red circles with the black dots in the middle, those are all the churches mentioned in Revelation uh, that John writes to, or that Jesus speaks to through John in Revelation. Again, a lot of these on the interior, Peter seems to have gone the other direction, and I'm sure he visited these other places, and again, there's Corinth in blue uh, over on the other side of the Aegean Sea, and we have reason to believe he was there, and we certainly have reason to believe that he was in Italy, in Rome, because that's where history tells us he was crucified upside down. So we understand from Rick's message last week that this dispersion would cover both Jews and Greeks, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This dispersion would cover both Jews and Gentiles, right? 
The Jews went through multiple dispersions, and the Gentiles were beginning to go through persecution of their own, the Gentile church. This is also six years before Jerusalem is destroyed by Rome. The temple was destroyed, and the Jews are chased out, so there's another dispersion. And I love what Rick said. God is, is casting seed in the form of believers to different parts of the world. Things that we would say, this is the most terrible thing that has ever happened. God is bringing about his kingdom in new places that haven't heard, to new lives that haven't heard. Your worst day may be the time that you come into contact with a person that has been praying. You're just, you're scattered. But God, God doesn't need you to be on your best day. God doesn't need that. Uh, Domitian in 81, Trajan in AD 108, Marcus Aurelius Antoninus in AD 162, Severus in AD 192, Maximus in 235, Decius in 249, Valerian in 257, Aurelian in 274, and Diocletian in 303. These are all persecutions, great persecutions that the church underwent and the seed was scattered. The Roman Empire is long gone, and the church is still here, and Jesus is still the head of it, and you are part of the body of Christ, and it cannot be stamped out by anything, and we should not be surprised when persecution arises. The text here says pilgrims. It's also translated as sojourners, and it literally means dwelling as strangers. To, the, to those dwelling as strangers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, we really need to get that idea. We really need to understand the idea of dwelling as strangers. We dwell here as strangers, This place isn't made for us. Our main goal should not be to make it more to our liking, but to recognize it's not supposed to be for us. It's not the place for us. It shouldn't conform to what we want because it doesn't conform to what God wants. It doesn't conform to his spirit. We've got to get comfortable dwelling as strangers. We don't like, he says, fit in. Fit in, fit in, fit in, and then they'll be able to understand about Jesus. Fit in and conform, and then they'll get your message better, right? They'll like you then, and they'll understand. We aren't here to be accepted as natives, and we won't be accepted but by those who have come to faith in Christ. Us, together, those others out there that know Jesus, that's who, that's, that's our home now, and we have a greater home coming. Are you comfortable dwelling as a stranger? You've got to embrace that. There's no blending in for us, and this is actually, I think, a relief because we don't have to, we don't have to waste any energy trying to do it. All the energy that I have spent in my life trying to blend in, I, oh, I didn't have to do that. I can just dwell as a stranger because that's what God has called me to. 
I can just be who he has made me to be and who he has called me to be. I don't have to waste any energy trying to fit in because God's got something else for me. And the only way they are going to recognize him in us is by us reflecting him, not us reflecting the rest of the world. Verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. We are elect. You are elect. I don't care how you feel. You are elect, appointed by God, chosen by him. According to the foreknowledge of God, awesome, and sanctification of the Spirit, wonderful, for obedience. What now? (laughs) Yes, for obedience. Not as excited about that one. Me neither. We're all in good company, right? But what holds us in our imperfect obedience? The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're held and our imperfect obedience, what should our goal, to be, goal be to become more and more obedient? Elect according to God's foreknowledge, sanctified by the Spirit, obedient and sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you strangers. To you elect, grace and peace be multiplied. That's what is in store for us. That's what is not in store. In store implies a later date. That's what is for us. Grace and peace multiplied. That's what God has for us. That's what he wants us to experience here and now in spite of whatever follows the of for you. In spite of grace and peace multiplied to you right now. And growing in obedience. There is nothing wrong with needing God and saying, God, I know I am not where I need to be. Will you help me? And he says, yeah, I got grace and peace for you. And it's multiplied beyond what you can know. Yes, I have my son die for you. And you're covered in his blood. Yes, of course I will help you. I love you. Verses 3 through 5, what has begotten us again? What has given us new birth to a living hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get really focused on the cross, and uh, it, would, it would sound weird and strange and dumb to say, don't be so focused on the cross, right? Like somebody's going to say, get that guy off the stage. But we, come, we become so focused there and we don't think enough i we don't think enough about the resurrection we don't spend enough time on the resurrection we've talked about we just talked about it uh from first corinthians and i don't think it's any coincidence that we have it here again so this is paul right and the last time we know that paul had been with peter if peter's writing this in ad 64 and the Jerusalem Council was in AD 50. This is 14 years after that. And Paul writes to the Corinthians 
The know this. This isn't so important. There are people that deny it. You can't do that. And here we have Peter, the same thing. You, according to his abundant mercy, you've been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Of course, he had to die to get there first, but don't diminish. Don't please spend plenty of time thinking about the resurrection, not just the cross. We get really focused on the cross and we should be really focused on the resurrection as well. Like just because you have two kids, right? You love them both. Love the cross. Love the resurrection. Understand what the resurrection means for you and dig into it. Become intimately familiar with it. Your initial birth, your physical birth, what was it to? Who? Human life uh, ending in death. Yes, just past that. Just past the life comes death for everybody. All of us, our physical birth was to death. That was, that was going to be the end result for all of us. It is going to be the end result, except for those that are taken while they're still alive when Jesus returns. So death is the end result for everybody. And what happens, right, is our striving during life for relevance, significance, meaning, to do the best with what we have, to make a difference. But even for the best lived life, you were born ultimately unto death. God offers you instead a living hope. A living hope, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not, does not fade away. It can never perish, spoil, or fade. So we go from being born into death to being born again into a living hope. It's alive. It's alive. It's something we get to walk in now, and that becomes even greater later. This living hope, an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away. Does your inheritance fade away? No, it does not. Anytime you think it's fading, less fantastic than it could ever be, it's not. It does not fade. The, Moses would put a, a veil over his face after he met with God, and over time, he would glow from meeting with God, but that would diminish, and he'd have a veil over his face. Our hope, our inheritance, our glow from God does not diminish. You can have plenty of bad days, but your inheritance does not diminish. We've got to walk in the truths about us and not the things we think and feel. It's reserved for you and it's kept by what? What does it say that it's kept by? The power of God through what? Faith. Reserved for you and kept by the power of God through faith. Not the power of God through your performance. Not the power of God through your perfect obedience. But through your faith 
in who he is and that he is faithful to his promises and all the things that he has said to you. Through faith, the more we understand what God has done for us, the more we will actually do for him, the more we will grow in our obedience, the more we'll live as strangers. And the more we try to attain by our own performance, the more this, it, <laughs> it's not like a treasure chest. It's like a treasure universe that we have with God. And we walk deprived, feeling deprived, thinking deprived. He says in, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. The fact that God is keeping this, that, that we have this inheritance that's kept by the power of God, not our own, through faith for salvation, in this you greatly rejoice. Do you? I walk around with the understanding of this greatly rejoicing. Or am I so focused on something I don't have that it's clouded the greatness of what God has done for me? Greatly rejoice, being born again into a living hope, being kept by the power of God through faith. The, when, when somebody would be healed, right? They would get up, they'd do cartwheels. We should be doing cartwheels. At least internally. I, mean, I can't do a cartwheel. I can, what's the other thing, like the half cartwheel, what's that called? Round off, thank you. Mark's doing them all the time, right? <laughs> Look. The worst thing when you try to do a cartwheel is when your arms collapse and your face just goes into the ground, right? That's, that's what may win you $10,000 on America's Funniest Videos. So go home and try it. We should be, at least internally, if we can't handle it physically, right? Cartwheels. Greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. Remind yourself. Remind others. Remind me. Greatly rejoice. And what we have, it's amazing, amazing, amazing. And now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And I, I feel God just putting his arm around me and, and, and saying through the words of Peter by the Holy Spirit, saying, now, for a little while, if need be, there'll be trials. And you may be grieved. But I have a purpose in these. They're not random. And I am not unaware of what you're going through. Now, for a little while, if need be. That's a lot different than the freak out that I often do when I have trials of various kinds. Right? And I've, I've talked to you on uh, how little a trial can be for me to freak out. Where's my keys, right? My favorite shirt's not clean, <laughs> whatever. God says, now for a little while, if need be. And it's for that faith, that faith that is so important that the, the power of God holds our salvation through. It's so important, that faith that keeps our inheritance 
and that it would be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's going to talk again down in verse 13 about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials are to prove our faith genuine, is to show it's been tested and it's stood up to that test. Well, God, why would you do that to me? He's not doing it for him. He's doing it for us that we'd be able to grow and grow and grow more and more in that faith and walk and walk and walk more and more in that faith and be blessed more and more and more in that faith. He says, it's more precious than gold. If I offered you a pile of gold right now or proven faith, which would you opt for? Tempting, right? I don't have a pile of gold, uh, so I can't offer you that. You don't have to worry about passing that test right now. It'd be a test for me. One's temporarily useful and the other endures for eternity and holds to the power of God a much greater treasure. Uh, Turn to Numbers chapter 31, if you will. Numbers is the fourth book of the Old Testament. First five books of the Bible written by Moses. He describes things that happened before his time and things that happened during his time as well. Numbers is the fourth of those. In Numbers chapter 31, we find some information about purification. He's talking about our faith being tested here, and he's comparing it. Uh, he's saying it's, it's far more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire. And in Numbers 31, we find the Israelites have gone to battle against the Midianites, and they're coming back from that battle. And starting in verse 20, it says some things that I think are important for us to understand about purification. Purify every garment and everything made of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean. And it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall pass through water. And you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. So the thing that struck me about this is that there were different means. Everything that wasn't to be destroyed in that battle, everything they weren't commanded to to destroy was to be purified. And each object was purified in a manner with which it could withstand. The gold was refined in one way. 
through fire, and then through water. The garments, the wood, those things couldn't endure fire. And so God said, that's not how you purify them. God knows what each of us can endure, and he purifies us in like manner with what we can withstand. He never purifies a thing with, he never purifies you, he never tests you or or puts you in a situation of testing that you cannot withstand. And it's all that glory would be revealed. Praise and honor and glory when Christ would be revealed. There is nothing that any of us go through. And this phrase does not diminish your suffering. And it is not to say, oh, just forget about that. You'll get through it. It's to encourage you that God knows. And he has not, even though you feel it, he has not taken you to your breaking point. Because he knows what you can withstand. And he will not purify you in a way that is be stick in there with him. Stick in there. You may be grieved by that, tri- by that trial, if need be, for a time. And that time, you know, we say it over and over again, compared to eternity is nothing. It's nothing. He says, you don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him, verse 8, whom having, uh, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Jesus said those words in front of Peter earlier in his life, right? Blessed are those who do not see me and yet believe. We don't see him, but we love him. And because of belief in him, we can rejoice with joy. And he describes this joy as inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Have you ever felt like you're trying to, you're trying to tell somebody that doesn't know Jesus about your relationship with Jesus, and you're like, uh, 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 I... I don't know how to explain. I find myself, I find myself getting self-conscious in those moments. I know inside how glorious God is, and I know how wonderful it is what he's done for me. And this scripture lets me off the hook. It says it's inexpressible. What we have is inexpressible, and we can't explain it to an unbeliever. They will not understand what we're trying to say if we're just trying to communicate how great God is to us. They won't get it. They won't understand it. And, and I, I feel myself at times, I'm trying to explain that, and I'm like, I'm not communicating it. And what I'm trying to do is show them how attractive a life in Christ is by me, by me being joyful. And that's, they're not going to get it. What they need to see, what they need to know is who I have faith in. They need to know about my faith. They don't have to be attracted by my life. I don't have to be having a good day to talk to somebody about Jesus. They need to know who I have faith in and why I have faith in him. 
And whether I am feeling joy that I can express at that moment, Peter's saying, hey, it's inexpressible. What you've got is inexpressible. Don't feel like you have to attract people by being so joyful in Christ because I don't think they're going to get it. All they need to know is, I have faith in Jesus, and you can too. And God's working on them by his Holy Spirit. God is working on them in his way at his time. We don't, is our example important? Yes, our example is important. We shouldn't be off doing things that we know are not Christ-like. But do we, I put, uh, so like, I'll just say me, right? I, if you uh, can relate to this, maybe not fantastic, but you can relate to it, right? I don't want you to have the same struggles as me necessarily. I want to be, I think I need to be impressive to attract people to Christ. My life has to be going well. But my faith is not based on me being impressive. And what they need is my faith. What they need to see is my faith, and what they need to see is the one in whom it is in. I can tell them I have faith in Jesus. I have a lot of things that are going wrong right now, but I have faith in Jesus. Stay in your life with all the things going wrong, with no anchor. I understand. I've been there. But I'm telling you, there is a place we can hold on. There is a place that you can come to, and I don't have to be Guy Smiley to introduce that to you. Oh, he's, he's just so attractive. His life is so good. We miss so many opportunities because we're waiting to feel good to share about Jesus. Our faith is not in us feeling good. Our faith is in the one that died for us. Our faith is in the one that's holding our salvation for a time in the future. He loves you and he loves them, and he's offering something more valuable. Uh, 126, rather, says, Those who sow with tears will reap with rejoicing. So often, you know, we don't, we don't, I mean, I'm crying in front of somebody trying to share my faith with them. What are they going to think? Ooh, I want some of that, right? They need some of that. Go out sowing with tears and let God bring the harvest. <clears throat> verses 10 through 12, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that now been reported to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. The prophets inquired and searched carefully of the grace that would come to you, to me, to the people that he was writing to, the spirit of Christ indicating to them the things of Christ. Peter says they knew they weren't ministering. The prophets weren't ministering. They weren't serving or waiting upon themselves, but to us, the things which those dwelling as strangers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia had reported to them, and what we would get as well. Through whom was the gospel preached to them? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Through whom do we share the gospel? 
the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, we see it's not dependent on our strength. Whether we're having a good day, leaving a life others, leading a life others would be impressed by, or exhibiting joy that would draw them, it's dependent on God. Sharing by the Holy Spirit. That's, what we, that's how it was shared to everybody. The power of God's Spirit, and He is constantly at work convicting people's hearts whether they choose to listen or not. And we have the opportunity to go and talk to them. All of the treasure that we have in God, I mean, I know I'm talking a lot about sharing our faith today. If we could, I don't want to just focus you on that, but living a life of Christ is totally dependent on Christ. It's totally dependent on God. It's totally dependent on faith. He is, and he will do what he says he will do. And we make it about so many other things. We make living a life in Christ about so many other things. And it's through the Holy Spirit, other people will understand that faith. It is dependent on God. Be dependent on God. Verses 13 through 16, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's an odd phrase, right? The loin, my loins are down here. My mind's up here. What is he talking about? Gird up the moins of your the moins of your line. Actually, when I was typing it, I said, "Gird up the loans of your mind." So it's none of those things. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Peter's Peter's using language here to evoke the imagery of the Israelites during the Passover. They were told to tuck their robes into their belts and be ready to go. Gird up the loins of your mind. God was going to deliver them, and they needed to be ready to go. God is going to deliver you, and you need to be ready to go at all times. Watch what's going in there. Watch what's going on in there, right? It's not just what's coming in. It's what's going on in our minds is, is what we're thinking, saying, I, I have no reason to believe God, or is what we're thinking, say, I have every reason to believe God. Are we trusting our experience or are we trusting his word? What's going on in there? Be ready. God is delivering you on a continual basis. Be ready to go. The second half of that scripture is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter, right, Peter, Peter had done what he probably thought was the unforgivable sin in denying Christ. Because Christ said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you in front of the Father. So Peter had every reason to believe he was out. No coming back. But that wasn't the case. Jesus restored him. Jesus met with him specifically. He conversed with him specifically. He challenged the level of Peter's love. And Peter got frustrated and Peter felt ashamed because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? But God stayed with him and God saved him. And he knew that he needed grace then 
and he knew that he was totally relying on grace to set our hopes fully on the grace to be given when Christ is revealed. We've gotten a lot already. We've all gotten a lot of grace, whether we recognize it or not. There's even more. It's not running out. We were at our Bible study on Friday where we were talking about, you know, God doesn't give us a box of grace. Go through that slowly because <laughs> you only got so much, right? We're not given a finite amount of grace. And we're, we're not only given everything we need right now for our whole lives, but a whole bunch for a time that we haven't even gotten to yet. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. As obedient children, we're back to that, right? Obedient. Not conforming to your former lusts. Lusts, the things that we covet, the things that we desire, the things we delight in. To the extent that we have those aside from God, not conforming to those. Those things bubble up in our minds. They bubble up in our hearts. We get bored and we say, oh, let me chase that. We, get, uh, we have trials and we say, let me go find some satisfaction. Children, as the one that knows there's a father that's in control and he will give me what I need. And I'm not going to conform to those things again. I'm not going to be captivated and taken away by those things. He says, finally, be holy. For I am holy. Leviticus 20, 26 says, Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. He did that with Israel, and he has Peter lived these things and was able to communicate them with us from a heart that knew great forgiveness and transformation. He knew it didn't come from himself, but from the one that set him apart to dwell for a time, if need be, here as a stranger. Let's remember what we have. Let's cause one another to greatly rejoice in it. Let's have faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Peter. And we thank you for the things you had him write by your Holy Spirit, ministering, being a servant to us who would hear these things in the future, just as the prophets of long ago knew that they were ministering to generations beyond. Would you help us to be a people that ministers to those beyond us? Fill us with faith, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. Help us, God, the things that are shiny and distracting to us, the things that we covet, the things that we keep. Help us recognize them as the dross which they are, the worthless things that we ought not to set our eyes on. Help us to bring them into the light Help us to grow in our obedience. 
Help us to be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name, amen.